Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, April 29th, 2019, which is right after Avengers Endgame has wrapped up its record-breaking opening weekend. And record-breaking really doesn't do justice to this, does it? Well, it's kind of like the one ring to rule them all. There were many rings within the stories, but there was one that turned out to be a little bit more mighty than the rest of them. And I think this is, uh, to borrow an analogy from a completely different universe, this would be the Mm -hmm. one movie to rule them all for a while. If it can top Avatar in the long run. If it's got legs, if the kid's got legs, it could make it all the way. You talk with anybody in the industry today, it's all about the records that it's blown through. I mean, for example, remember on the last show we were... We're talking about if it was even going to be possible for Endgame to go past what Infinity Wars had earned at the box office. And then there were those who were saying, could it make $300 million? And, and well, yeah, how about $356 million? And that's in North America alone. And just earlier today, they had to revise the worldwide take because initially it was one point two billion dollars and it's like wait 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 we found an extra 20 million so that's 1.22 billion dollars and the ripple effect has been bizarre i mean disney uh, disney company stock today reached a 52 week high of 142 dollars and 37 cents it it settled back down to 139 dollars but given that earlier this year the stock was trading for 97 dollars there's a lot of people at Disney right now who are shareholders who are very happy that the company made this movie. Yeah, but really, stock market isn't as much about where a company actually lives financially. Mm-hmm. It's more about the speculation of where a company could go financially. And every time some average person who may not be heavy into Wall Street, and they're mm-hmm. looking for that one sure bet, And they just keep Mm -hmm. seeing Marvel making money, making money, making money. And they go, that's a safe horse to bet on. I could put away, Mm -hmm. you know, I could buy a couple of shares here and there over time and let it build up. And that will just keep growing because it's nothing Mm -hmm. but success. And now they've got all the Fox and they've got Star Wars and Star Wars land. And all you see is the potential money coming in without actually factoring what what the cost of the operations day to day are for that entire operation, which is the size of a small nation's entire economy for a year. Oh, God, yeah. But here's the thing, folks. Aaron and I really, 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 really want to talk about the movie uh, Endgame. We're going to get heavily into spoilers, in-depth discussion. One of the things I, I really enjoyed about this Russo Brothers movie is how the how subversive it was at points, how you'd go in with certain expectations and you didn't get that. So uh, what I thought we'd do, kind of a reverse on what we've done previously in the show here, is have a feature piece before Aaron and I get into talking about Endgame. Given that we got such a strong reaction from listeners about the Marvel Mania restaurant, which Marvel Entertainment, in collaboration with Planet Hollywood International, did back in 97, was supposed to be the the first of a chain, Aaron. But it barely made it, I want to say, 18 months. It opened in February of 1998 and then closed in September of 1999. And according to financial documents I found earlier today, 
Planet Hollywood took a $5.5 million write-down on it. Mm-hmm. But a large, a large amount of that was because they were already at work on three other restaurants in the chain. There was going to be one built at Universal Orlando. I can't find out specifically if the Marvel Mania for Universal Orlando was going to be part of Marvel Superhero Island inside of Island's Adventure, or if it was going to be out in CityWalk. According to press reports I've come across, it was already under construction. So somebody's got to know something about this. The other one, they wanted to build one on 42nd Street in New York City. In fact, the way the the marquee for the the restaurant was actually going to be Spidey climbing the side of the building. You'd come around the corner and it's like, oh, that's where the Marvel Media Restaurant is. I can see Spidey. This is years before Disney bought Marvel, but this restaurant was to have been built right across the street from the New Amsterdam. That's, of course, you know, the theater that Disney took a 100-year lease on, and that's where Lion King was presented, and Mary Poppins, and now Aladdin. The building that the Marvel Mania, the New York version of Marvel Mania, was supposed to be built in, eventually was turned into a massive theater, which that was the home for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the famous oh, troubled yeah. musical that was based on this Marvel thing. But I was surprised to see how long that ran. It ran from... November of 2010 through January of 2014. Yeah, but people went to go see that like they go to see car races. They're just kind of waiting for an accident to happen. Ooh, that looked like it hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> now it's home to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, so that theater isn't going to be vacant for a very long time. And then there was there was a London version of Marvel Media that, that evidently got fairly long, far along. It was going to be built in London's Trocadero, which is an entertainment complex in Coventry Street. But there were so many nice, marvelous Disney listeners who sent along photographs of their visits to the restaurant or the glasses they still have that they bought that I thought, see, I made the mistake. I was there. I saw it. And I walked by figuring, I can get it to the next, get to that the next time I'm at Universal Hollywood. And now it was gone. So when today I came across the menu... I thought, oh, well, we got to share this. So, Aaron, yep. grab grab a napkin. I've got my bib on. Let's dive in. Would you like an appetizer? Absolutely. What do we got? Some some breadsticks or what? Well, no, actually, this kind of gives you a sense of what went on at the Marvel Mania. Our choices are Namor's calamari, lightly breaded and pan-fried calamari served with jalapeno cilantro aioli. We also have Fantastic Four cheese fries, and wait a minute wait a minute do you only get four cheese fries is that the gag there's only four of them <laughs> well yes actually there's mozzarella gorgonzola cheddar and i want to say american okay so it's four cheeses in many sticks mm-hmm. i thought they were going to give you like four cheese sticks no but on the other hand if you want something a little more substantial we could go with wolverine's macho nacho fries which were served with chili con queso guacamole firecracker salsa and sour cream. See, I thought it should have came with grizzly bear, just from his Alaska heritage. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, you want to go a little lighter. We could we could have a little of Aunt May's chicken vegetable soup. Okay. Or we could uh, have a salad out of the gargantuan gallery of greens. By the way, this is also listed in other iterations of the menu as galactic greens. We have. The She-Hulk, which is Hearts of Romaine, served with giant homemade croutons and classic Parmesan dressing. 
And then they have a Tyrannus Caesar salad, which I had to actually look up Tyrannus. He's a supervillain who battled the Hulk. Mm -hmm. But again, same thing, Parmesan dressing, croutons, and our marvelous Caesar dressing. And But again, this is filled with dad jokes. Right. So instead of A2 Brute, it's Eat 2 Brute. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the ever-loving entrees. Your choices are Mary Jane's Roasted Herb Chicken, uh, the Ghost Rider Ribs. We talked about this earlier, the Doc Ox Walk. Your choices there were Chicken, Beef, or Shrimp. And, and then, again, we have the Submariner's Deep Sea Suggestions, and I just have a little problem with Namor, you know, supposedly. Uh, well, sure, go ahead, have the sea bass, you know. Normally, Namor is protector of the oceans. However, yes. from time to time, there are some fish mm -hmm. that particularly rub him the wrong way, and he's got to take that... care of them, and he's, he makes them go sleep with the humans. There we go. Okay, I love your explanation. Okay, now, again, with your entrees, you don't get side dishes, you get side kicks. So you have your, your Hulk smashed potatoes, you have your fantastic fries, which I, I guess are the, the fantastic cheese fries with the cheese, and then we have our Marvel Mania house salad. And, and then from there, I, you could almost feel like the menu is running out of, of steam. You <laughs> right. know, I mean, they're, they're using Marvel-esque words, but, you know, it's like the pulse-pounding pizzas where you have an extreme vegetable you know and again x-men x and then an incredible italian or a fabulous florentine yeah then you have powerful pastas and boy they used a lot of adjectives didn't they well yeah well and and, and that's the other thing i think it's a very it, it's well worth chasing down this menu online folks because it's evidently a lot of the artists who were working for marvel entertainment at the time did the character drawings and it, it's a very busy menu lots of words leaping out of you and explosions and now on the powerful pastas we have a linguini team up featuring mighty meat sauce oh uh, we and I, I thought you particularly enjoy this Aaron. the fantastic four cheese pasta the description of this Starts off with a nuclear meltdown of penne pasta, mushroom, shallots, ricotta, parmesan, mozzarella, and gorgonzola cheese. Nothing says you're, you're making the right menu choice other than the phrase nuclear meltdown. I'm, I'm binding up right now just thinking about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cheese. All right. Well, again, you want to go a little light, lighter. We have lightning skewers. We have storms, hurricane shrimp, and then gamma grilled vegetables. By the way, that, that's the other thing I, I think I, I have to sort of stress here is that for a, a menu for a family-friendly based in theme parks or, you know, entertainment districts like 42nd Street, they really did make an effort to, to put a lot of veggie-related stuff in. I sure. mean, for example, if we get to the superhero burgers, yeah, there's a Captain America burger and that's a half a ground, pound of ground chuck and... Of course, you've got the Incredible Hulk burger, uh, which is a full pound of, of fresh chuck. But but then you have things like the Falcon burger, which is a half pound of ground turkey. Or And this, I, I thought, again, given what we just saw in Endgame, and they circled all the way back to Tony Stark's love of cheeseburgers. Mm -hmm. But this, we have the Iron Man burger, which is a meatless patty made with fresh mushrooms, onions, grains, low-fat cheese, seasoning, and spice, and on, on a multi-grain, of course, it's served on a hero roll, but the added thing here is supplies all the iron you'll need to be a superhero. But then, of course, we, we had mentioned on the earlier show the sandwiches, and 
Here you have things like the riotous roasted roll-up of the vegetable variety. And again, going with a healthier take on things, you've got a a wild blend of oven-roasted eggplant, mushrooms, red onions, squash, beans, bell peppers, and shredded lettuce all rolled together on Mediterranean flatbread. I could see Nancy having that. Right. On the other hand, the Daredevil's Rolled Billy Club, which is herb-roasted chicken, bacon, Swiss, lettuce, Roma tomatoes, and cream cheese mayonnaise, all on a whole grain flatbread. And I can't help but notice that there's a lot of herb-roasted chicken being served at this restaurant, but the interesting thing is it's in the the Billy Club. It's also in the Mary Jane's Roasted Chicken, and I would imagine... That Aunt May's chicken soup that's served the next day features a lot of the the herb roasted chicken that didn't get sold. What's up with Peter having all of the women in his life trying to serve him chicken? Like, Peter, you look like you got a cold. Here's some chicken soup. Then Mary Jane's like, I roasted a chicken for you, babe. I mean, come on. Even Doc Ock had a chicken dish. Peter's got a, a chicken problem right now in his life. I think so. And then, But at the same time, what's kind of interesting is I combed through this entire menu area. I didn't... I mean, you can see Spider-Man, but there's nothing... Spider-Man, you know, the, with Spidey's name on it. You know, if we pivot to the kids' menu here, you get the obvious here. You get, you know, Cap's Battle Burger. Uh-huh. You get the Defender's Tenders. Instead of Daredevil, you get a Dare Dog. Uh, and you get an Uncanny X Pasta and a Wolverine's Grilled Cheese Sandwich and Mighty Mutant Macaroni and Cheese. And all right, huh. so we've been good. We stuck to the veggie side. So, Aaron, we've saved room for dessert, you know, but here, the all of the desserts are villain themed. Okay. So they be so they're listed under diabolical desserts. So we have I don't think I've ever actually seen these words put together that way before, but sinister strawberry shortcake. Well, it's like one of those things where it's just like it's sinful. It's to die okay. for, you there know. It's evil. There we go. Okay. It's decadent well, we it also have ballistic butterfinger bread pudding. But here's the one that, you know, you got to have something on the menu that challenges people. And here on the dessert menu, we have the Galacticus. Somebody really had some fun writing this menu description. It's like, you'll need to be the devourer of worlds to tackle this titan. It's 12 scoops of ice cream topped with marshmallow, hot fudge, raspberry and caramel sauce, nuts, cherries and whipped cream, a titanic treat perfect for any party or superhero family, and it all comes to you for a very affordable $34.95. Yeesh. Yeah, and this is 1998 prices. Yeah, but when you're in the mindset to do something stupid like eat 10 scoops of ice cream loaded with all of the sugar on the planet, mm-hmm. it should cost you more than just your health. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at the same time, it's people, you know, think about it. You sit down, you take your child to a theme park. You take them to Marvel Mania. They want to buy the Galacticus. You buy the Galacticus, and then you walk them around the theme park where they proceed. Well, we won't get into. Yeah, but what I mean, do, but. there there is that trend of like Planet Hollywood is around this time, and you really weren't paying mm-hmm. for quality food. You're paying for the atmosphere of like, oh, that's the jacket that Arnold wore in the Terminator, and isn't that cool? So you know, that's a price of admission uh, on everything you buy in there is just added up to what you're paying over the cost of a regular burger is just part of your price of admission to get into the cool place and look at all the beautiful artwork from all of the Marvel artists or whatever they've got up. I'm sure they had it decked out with all kinds of memorabilia and statues and all that. They did, in fact, have in the Marvel Mania for Universal Studios Hollywood a mini museum where they had 
artwork and artifacts that they had brought out from uh, Marvel's New York headquarters. There was a lot of really ambitious stuff to this place. I mean, for example, they had a two-story tall video wall that ran segments that they'd culled from all of the Marvel animation that had been done from the, the early 60s on forward. And what was interesting is to make sure that you were aware you would see this not only in this two-story tall video wall, but also on all the monitors in the restaurant. They had this very sophisticated audio cue that rolled through the whole restaurant, sort of making a Hulk smash kind of a noise. Mm-hmm. And that was what was supposed to direct your, your eye to, okay, look at the monitor, here comes the next cue. They spent a lot of money, a lot of time. Your carpets were comic book panels. The backs of the chairs were all word balloons from various Marvel stories. I mean, you could see the money, and not only that, you could see the characters, because that was the thing. They had Universal team members wandering around the restaurant dressed as Spidey and Storm and all that. And if this place were open today, it would, of course, be doing... Hand over fist business largely from people who had just walked out the door from seeing Endgame. And right. it's like, oh, you know, I want to keep this going. As you've said many thousands of times in previous podcasts mm-hmm. about ideas being retooled and reused, uh, I have a mm-hmm. feeling that this one is probably going to end up popping back up on their own radar sooner rather than later. Because if Marvel's making all the money in the world, the number one question they ask themselves as a company is how do we capitalize on this mm-hmm. momentum? And it's by putting out all the toys and all the comic books and all of the everything else that you can put out. And if you can brand a burger, then brand a burger, you know, so they're going to probably get back to that point pretty soon. And the other thing is now they have a new surge in that push Mm -hmm. with all of the interest in the movies where they could easily just kind of tink it over towards an MCU themed thing because they've got so many costumes and props just from that alone that you could probably fill up five restaurants across the country easily on day one, you know? Um, so yeah, they could probably do something like that to reharness their, their current popularity in a new money-making way. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it, for me, what's going to be kind of intriguing is to see what happens on the heels of the, Art of Marvel, uh, the redo of the New York, New York uh, hotel over at Disneyland Paris, that what props, what artifacts, what artwork end up there, and more to the point, what's left over for, say, a restaurant chain. So consider that the meat in the sandwich that, you know, we started off talking a little bit about the movie, and now we're going to do a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we're going way in-depth on Endgame. If you don't want it spoiled, don't come back after the commercial. But if, on the other hand, if you're like me and Aaron and you, you want to get down into the nuts and bolts thing, we'll be back in just a minute or so. One little last thing before we get into Endgame here, and I came across a bit of news from 1989. This was when uh, Ron Perlman's MacAndrew and Forbes Holding Company actually bought Marvel Entertainment. Uh, They bought it from New World for $82.5 million. When they purchased Marvel, that didn't include Marvel Productions, the folks who did the the movie and the TV stuff. But Perlman was talking about what his plans were for the company, and this is 30 years ago? This is what he says about what he wanted to do with Marvel. said, it is a mini Disney in terms of an intellectual property. Disney's got much more highly recognized and softer characters, whereas our characters are termed action heroes. But at Marvel, we are now in the business of creating and marketing characters. 
gee, I wonder how that'll pan out. Mm -hmm. You know, whether or not anybody will be actually be interested in in these characters and say, oh. 30 years. Well, they did some interesting things in the early days. I mean, we can't always just go straight back to Tony Stark and Iron Man 1 because Blade was a huge push forward in the Marvel movie making genre because they had Wesley Snipes and a little tiny budget and a pretty kick-ass story and they made it and it was cool and they got two sequels out of that. And they were starting to make some money and they, then they started to think, what else could we do? And what characters do mm -hmm. we have access to? And what would it take to get them back? And there's a whole lot of history that came before the MCU as we know it that we could talk about for days and days and another show. Mm -hmm. But this show... Are we ready to talk about Endgame yet? Is it time to rip the paper okay. off the present? Again, folks, just telling you right up front, lots of spoilers mm -hmm. ahead. Lots of, if you don't want to know, get out. Okay, so let's start with the obvious. Given this thing got 96% freshness over Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of people, and again, you look at the box office, a lot of people like this movie. What did you think, Aaron? I liked it very, 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 very much. There's a couple mm -hmm. of things here and there that I will speak about in a critical fashion, but overall, I greatly mm -hmm. enjoyed the movie. The first critical mm -hmm. thing that came, I think, right out of the gates was... I think that Marvel as a company completely overstated the importance of Captain Marvel in Endgame because she was mm -hmm. there in the first five minutes and then she was gone until like the last 10 minutes and she really wasn't connected very much. She's just like, hey guys, I know the world's in danger and all, but I got to split. And then when it mm -hmm. mattered, she came back at the most important moment and saved the day in that moment. So yes, she was overall important to the movie but she didn't play much of a role anywhere else and so previous statements of captain marvel being the ultimate teaser to get you ready for endgame i think was a bunch of hogwash because they are so very hardly hardly connected to one another outside of her brief appearance i think in a lot of ways it's both a strength of this film i mean face it the moment when captain marvel returns to the field and there's there's, there's that wonderful moment where spider-man has the infinity gauntlet and they're facing the whole black horde mm -hmm. to try to get it to scott lang's van spidey hands the, the gauntlet to captain marvel and it's like i don't know how you're gonna make it across there ma'am and then you have that shot where every single female marvel superhero enters the frame and sort of gets across the idea that they have Captain Marvel's back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, that was fan service, mm -hmm. plain, simple, upfront fan service, but earned. Over 22 movies, they earned that moment. And more to the point, as I was sitting there in the theater smiling, because it was like, I am looking at every little girl's screensaver, T-shirt, poster in her bedroom for the next five years. Right. Yeah, maybe a little gratuitous, but earned. Right. And at that point, I was happily along for the ride. Yeah, no, I, I loved everything that when Captain Marvel was in it, I loved all of her being there. It's mm -hmm. just that Marvel made such a big hurrah about how important she was to the movie, and then to mm -hmm. have her not be in 98% of it, I was like, eh. Now, on the flip side of that very same coin, I do understand the importance of focusing mm -hmm. on the main team of the Avengers because this has been their journey for the last many, many, many movies. So really, you got to have Stark, Thor, Cap, uh, Hawkeye, and Black Widow 
all be the main focus of the story. So it's not like I was overly disappointed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's just about Marvel making such a big deal about her importance to the movie. And it's just like, yeah, she delivered some great blows that helped save the day. But really, this has always mm -hmm. been the Avengers movie. I do understand why she wasn't there and I'm okay with it. Uh, that's all fine. Beyond that, the movie was chock full of Easter eggs, callbacks, and mm. long-lost characters that we thought we had lost forever, but due to time travel, you get to revisit certain points in time. Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, if Infinity War was a difficult movie to come in as a new viewer, then Endgame mm. is absolutely impossible because just when they landed on the home planet and I knew it was going to be the opening scene for Guardians of the Galaxy and I knew that Chris Pratt was going to come dancing across the screen any second now, it was that moment mm. of anticipation that I was able to have that a new viewer just wouldn't be able to match because they don't know it's coming. It's it's those little moments that I think make the movie almost not shine as much if you're not aware of what they're calling back, what moment you're anticipating and how they're going to warp it and make it different. See, now that's one of the things I genuinely enjoyed about this movie, that you hit upon it, warping it and making it different. Like, take, for instance, that moment when Cap is in Stark Tower, surrounded by all those agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm -hmm. and you suddenly get that, oh my God, we're, we're back... It's the same setup that we had in Winter Soldier. Right. And, you know, and, and getting that vibe that the fight's about to begin. And then Cap leans into the head official from S.H.I.E.L.D. and does Hail Hydra. And the, the next thing, he gets to walk out with Loki's scepter without a single thing happening. Yeah. And that wonderful knowing laugh from the audience about, I didn't expect this to go there. Exactly. They did such a good job of setting up your expectation from what you already know from a previous movie. That, mm -hmm. yeah, if you hadn't seen almost every movie in the MCU, all of the stuff in the last half of the movie would fall flat because you're not familiar with what they're referencing. You know, it's like an inside mm -hmm. joke. Hey, Jim, you remember mm -hmm. that one time with the pudding? And then you just start laughing. Mm -hmm. And now all of our audience is lost with what the hell is he talking about with the pudding? It's yeah. one of those things that I just kind of feel like, man, you have better have been with us from day one, 10 years ago. Otherwise, you've got mm -hmm. some serious homework to do before you can appreciate this movie and again you hit upon two of my favorite moments mm -hmm. out of this movie were were thor with his mom and tony stark with his dad right and with a three hour and two minute long movie you can do this i mean think about it that those weren't short scenes they were you know they they went as long as they really needed to well here's the difference is a moment of perspective if you compare this side by side with Infinity War, which I think a lot of people will, Infinity mm -hmm. War was so packed full of characters. When we had the interview there that Drew had gotten with the writers and the directors, they had talked mm -hmm. about how Doctor Strange had 15 seconds to set up his character in the opening of that movie. Because you mm -hmm. are crammed full of cast. Here, mm -hmm. with all of the cast snappified and, and turned to Swiffer dust, they've got time to actually focus on the main Avengers cast once again. And when you put mm -hmm. those two side by side, when I was in the theater, I felt the movie dragged. And, and not in the bad mm -hmm. way. It was just, mm -hmm. I thought it, we were going to be hitting the ground running just like we did in Infinity War, where everybody's like, hey, we got a plan, boom, let's go. And we're back mm -hmm. in action in like the first five to ten minutes, where instead we get, mm -hmm. the first, my surprise was the battle with 
the first battle with Thanos because it was unexpected, mm. it was fast, and it did not end the way I thought it was going to, which gave us the trajectory for the rest of the movie. And then you go to mm. jump five years later and everybody's depressed and they don't want to get back together because they failed and they've got their own thing to overcome before they can regroup. And that whole time I'm like, boy, they're really taking their time with this. And like mm-hmm. I said, not in a bad way, not like, you know, it's draggy or slurry that I wanted them to cut a lot of of material out or anything silly like that. I was enjoying, mm-hmm. because I knew this is our last ride with these heroes, that I was enjoying a slower pace to get to spend time with them once again. And those moments where Tony gets to reconcile with his father and Thor gets to, you know, have his moment with his mother, those are hard, powerful emotions that they've been struggling with for the last many movies. You know, the whole mm-hmm. basis of Civil War is based on Winter Soldier killing his dad. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to have that moment back gives you some some closure. But at the same time, I love the little real moments, like when Rene Russo is saying goodbye to her son, and it just and and eat a salad, right, right. Or for that matter, I loved the moment with Howard Stark where he's getting in the car and. And he turns, Jarvis, do you recognize that guy? And and to hear the whole audience is like, Jarvis, oh no! I do got to say that Thor, after we are reintroduced to him, I thought was channeling Jim Morrison about 30 days before he takes a bath in Paris. <laughs> and from here on out, I'm going to refer to him as Jim Thorison, the Lightning King. There we go. Really, all I got to do is grow about four inches out of my beard, and I can actually cosplay as Thor legit without having to work out. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I Now, this brings up an interesting moment, or an interesting reaction to the film. Oh, the fat shaming, right? Yeah, the, the, well, the, the notion that, that by having Thor be in that shape, suddenly the element of fat shaming is involved. Right. And as a heavy guy, I didn't get that at all. The way I interpreted that was that this was a direct reaction of what had happened on that first raid going for Thanos and and realizing they got there too late. And when Thor beheaded him, I mean, it was, it was extreme, it was excessive, and his whole crew sort of reacted badly to it. And he withdrew, and, and this is what happened. Right. No, I like I said, I could legit cosplay Thor today if I grew up my beard four inches. So I've mm-hmm. got exactly that kind of body style, unfortunately for me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel any shame while I was sitting in my seat in the theater like, oh, they're all laughing at exactly my body type. Mm-hmm. But also, I've never been to a point of like obesity where people had you know like yelled at me in the street like, hey, you're fat. And mm-hmm. we live in a pretty cruel world where some people do that. And it's A, not right, but if you Mm -hmm. are on the receiving end of that, if you're bullied in school, uh, you're going to be sensitive to fat jokes in any way, shape, or form, right? So one is put on the screen, and all of a sudden people are laughing simply because Thor is now fat. I can understand Mm -hmm. that person saying they're laughing at fat, and fat is me, Mm -hmm. so therefore they're laughing Mm -hmm. at me. And that's simply just not the case. You you know, each human deserves love and respect and, and all that, and... Yeah, I think, Jim, the way that you looked at it is Thor retreated. He left Mm -hmm. the group. He went into isolation. He was no longer a hero. He failed at his mission. He went into heavy drinking, you know, which gives you a a bit of a beer belly. That's more about Mm -hmm. his lifestyle choices to show that, you know, everyone has moved on in a different way. Stark has now got Mm -hmm. a family, and he's no longer playing the hero card anymore. Thor is retired to a little island and is now a drunk who plays uh, Xbox with Korg, which... Thank God Korg is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, 
that was half the fun of this movie was the little filigrees like that it's like korg's back right i guess that's my next question what was it about endgame that surprised you well like i said uh i think the thing that i found most surprising while watching it was the pacing of it i did think Mm -hmm. that they took their sweet time getting to all of the fun stuff when they saw when as, Mm -hmm. as soon as i saw the word time heist on a screen mm-hmm. i was like oh i can't wait for this just the idea mm-hmm. of a time heist and that's what they're calling it sounded like a whole lot of fun so i couldn't wait to get to that mission i was mm-hmm. very very happy to see professor hulk and mm-hmm. really i felt like i was seeing mark ruffalo through some kind of weird hollywood mirror because his mm-hmm. face was there his entire mm-hmm. performance seemed to be true and honest and breathing more like a human it's like they got every nuance of whatever he gave them and if they only enhanced it with digital artistry after that then they did a tremendous job of not ruining the effect because it just looked mm-hmm. like a giant green mark ruffalo and I was so happy mm-hmm. to just see his. Per- I, w- I wish they would have n- knocked his voice down like mm-hmm. half an octave or something to give him more of that beefy Hulk sound. But beyond mm-hmm. that, I, I couldn't have been happier to see Professor Hulk throughout this movie. That brought a lot of fun to it. What I loved is they kept surprising us. Like when Hulk went to the Sanctorium to collect the Time Stone. Mm-hmm. And ran into Tilda Swanson's ancient one on the roof, sort of protecting the building as the Battle of New York is going on. And I love that whole scene between the two characters where there's this huge battle going on in New York, and, and but these two characters are talking and discussing the vagaries of time travel and the impact. And I especially love that moment when the ancient one realized that Doctor Strange had had given away the time zone and it's like, oh, well, okay, that means it has to happen. And all right, I'll give this to you. And I was surprised by the little scenes that would take on suddenly so much weight or the plot would turn on on these quiet interaction between characters. <laughs> well, Hulk being embarrassed by his past self before that scene starts had me laughing for about 20 <laughs> minutes. Yep. And then him mimicking yep. him, himself. You, know, arr, arr, yep. you, you really put your heart into it there, Banner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. When Well, first off, you got to have a little exposition. And that was also one of the places where they talked about the rules of time travel in the MCU, which mm-hmm. I, I want to get to further later on in the discussion. Mm-hmm. But... Essentially, the MCU time travel rules are not like Mm -hmm. most conventional time travel movies. And as Mm -hmm. a huge fan of time travel movies, I'm kind of excited when someone tries something different. Whether it works or not Mm -hmm. is a different question. But in this Mm -hmm. case, I kind of like exactly where they went with that. So we'll jump to that a little bit later on. But the end battle, I mean, once it starts, I mean, Valkyrie on a Pegasus rock my world. No, I I get that. I do. That shot where she's flying through Mm -hmm. that huge epic battle is like the most Mm -hmm. epic of the paintings of the biggest, hugest epic Marvel comics that I grew up reading. And that is a huge Mm -hmm. splash page moment where you've got people wearing flying armor you've got gods wielding thunder you've got heroes with super soldier serum you've got pegasus and valkyrie on their back flying through it so it was so 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 epic that it blew my wee little mind there were moments in this movie i think that would have worked better as a splash page right rather than you know i mean for example when Doctor Strange started opening all the portals and we had all of the resurrected 
characters coming back. I get for a moment. I I have to tell you, I I got disoriented because it was like I was trying to keep track of who's coming in where. But then they they do smart things like I love the moment where where Peter Parker comes in and is jabbering at Tony Stark and and Tony is just reaches in and hugs the kid because the kid's back right. all right it's like okay we, we this part of it we got right because they'd done that lovely moment of him in the cabin and it just sort of like time travel is different you know in the mcu right and tony was desperately afraid of of losing his daughter and lo- losing what he and you know pollock had put together and there was that beat where he looks at the photograph of himself and 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 peter and just what he has came at a cost and it's like is he willing to just forget about that yeah. you know just to, to to preserve what he still has i love that there were some real stakes here oh yeah i was surprised that scarlet was the first one to go i'm sorry I, i'm yeah. referring not to scarlet witch but scarlet johansson so i should have said black widow was the first yep. to go and then that immediately made me think of, well, I guess that makes her movie that's coming out definitely a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but at the same time, you got to wonder, they're still making this movie. But, you know, the fact that Feige put stuff out there about the Black Widow movie going into production and just, you know, so, you know, face it, as an audience, we all walked in, well, okay, you know, we're pretty sure that, you know, Scarlett Johansson's going to make it through Oh, kind of like a bait and switch. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. There were a couple other moments that were just beyond epic. Uh, Obviously, the return of our heroes, when it's basically Mm -hmm. this huge, epic, wide shot of Cap, and then a landscape of thousands of enemies. And then you Mm -hmm. hear Falcon come in with, on your left, and then the Mm -hmm. portals start to open. That would have been an epic splash page. And like you were talking about screensavers earlier for all of the women landing, that would be one of mine Mm -hmm. there. Also, Mm -hmm. giant man punching a space slug. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, those are the moments that I live for, Jim. It's it's those simple, just brutal, over-the-top, crazy moments where you just sit Mm -hmm. and squirm in your seat and jump up and down and clap your hands and kind of squee a Mm -hmm. little bit about how cool was that. And Mm -hmm. then, obviously, when Cap gets a new tool in the battle, I mean, we saw him nudge Mjolnir in Avengers Ultron and Thor got a little bit worried about it, but then when he's actually using it as a tool and Thor does the, I knew it! But even to top that, because Thor and Cap remind me a lot Mm -hmm. of Legolas and Gimli in Lord of the Rings where they have that competitive in battle they're keeping count, and so like Thor Mm -hmm. ends up going up to uh, Cap and goes, no, I'll take the big one here, you take the little one. It's just one of those moments of friendship in battle where they have to kind of razz each other a little bit. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I guess now we have to to talk about going into this. I would have bet money that Robert Downey Jr. would come out at the other side. The fact that 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 had the weight that it had. But at the same time, I guess, you know, realistically, that's the beauty of having one guy at the top, Kevin Feige, with a vision I loved the little callbacks. I loved that scene with Happy Hogan with Tony's daughter on the porch. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. Right. Well, the reason that they had to kill off Stark is because if they brought 
Robert Downey Jr. back for another movie it would have cost Disney North and South America and they don't own those yet but they do have the animated stuff coming and they are using the cast for the animated voices in many of these cases mm -hmm. and doing mm -hmm. that is a lot easier because you can walk in a day knock out a script you know you don't have to mm -hmm. worry about special effects lighting camera setup anything like that you just walk in cut your stuff and then collect a mm -hmm. check and walk out so I do think that he'll always be Iron Man in the MCU and that mm -hmm. they will still work to find ways to invite him back for special little mm -hmm. side projects where they need a little Stark. Maybe it's a hologram from when he was still alive or mm -hmm. some video of when he was doing science stuff in the lab, whatever, but I'm sure they'll find a way to bring him back for something. You and I, out ahead of this, had assumed that it was Cap. We were going to lose Cap. I love the fact that I could do this all day, showed up in the movie, but not in the place that I thought right. he was going to end up. I tell you what, I would have laid money that that would have been his last line in the movie before he got axed. Same thing I here, was same thing here but I, I, I love the fact that the expectations I went in with kept getting subverted. I honestly like being surprised in movies, and, and that was a surprise. And, and in fact, what they also chose to do with Cap at the end of the film legitimately was a surprise and what do you think of the long-term ramifications of this it was note perfect and here's why mm -hmm. uh when they send cap back in time and he mm -hmm. ends up in peggy's old office and she's on the other side oh. of a window i got legitimately yeah. angry like how mm -hmm. can you keep tormenting this poor guy Please keep in mind, I know he's a fictional character. I'm not delusional, mm -hmm. but I love the character. So in my seat, I'm like, come on, Marvel. He's been through enough. Mm -hmm. You cannot make mm -hmm. him choose the mission over his true love mm -hmm. yet again. Mm -hmm. And they made him do that. And I was just so really angry that they would mm -hmm. put him through that emotionally. Mm -hmm. That by the time it got to the end and he does his little replacement of the time stones and he doesn't quite come back the way that they think and expect when they get to that mm -hmm. moment i don't know if i started crying immediately <laughs> mm -hmm. but i knew I, I knew where they were going and i couldn't mm -hmm. wait to have them reveal on that expectation and when mm -hmm. they did and then the credits rolled it seemed to be the perfect closing of this movie. Whereas if you look at Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where everyone complained it went on for 25 goodbyes too long, and it was 45 mm -hmm. extra minutes of, of unneeded stuff, mm -hmm. this had the right amount of tribute to our characters to say goodbye. And the one that they, mm -hmm. I, you know, I almost thought they were gonna end with Stark at, at the funeral mm -hmm. and close credits there but when they mm -hmm. added on with captain america i went well this almost feels unnecessary but when they finally mm -hmm. gave us the true ending and his yeah. life with peggy after mm -hmm. that i was like oh this is absolutely the only way to end this movie oh thank you marvel mm -hmm. i was so angry at you about 45 minutes ago now i'm so happy <laughs> well, that you put me through that emotional grief so it could pay off extra hard right now to circle back to the Tony Stark gathering at the lake. And I love the fact that, you know, when they passed over the kid from... Um, Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Literally, we all had to go, wait a minute, who's that kid? Right. You know, and then, you know, when we all did our homework and found out, well, of course, that 
attention to detail, of course that kid would still be part of Tony's life. All right, now one thing that did surprise me about the ending is Cap giving his shield to Falcon. I really thought it should have gone to Bucky. I mean, they've been buds since the Great Depression. Who else mm-hmm. could claim rightful broship to Cap? Mm-hmm. And I get that, you know, he and Falcon became friends and all that over time. But it's like the dude's got wings. <laughs> you know, he's got where's he gonna put the shield? I mean, give it to the dude with the metal arm. It all makes sense thematically, but why the dude with wings? And so I don't know, does that mean now that Falcon's gonna ditch the wings and carry the shield? And if they do, do they switch the name? Because then it shouldn't be Falcon and Winter Shul- Soldier, it should be, you know, new cap and soldier or something. You're preaching to the choir here. I you know, I have to admit suddenly this limited series for for Disney Plus, it's like, okay, so when does this happen? Likewise, WandaVision. Are we now just going to be in that window of time between the Age of Ultron and... I think Elizabeth Olsen let slip that it takes place in the 50s. Interesting. Yeah, let that one settle in your noggin for a quick second to stew over the complications and and why, where, how. I think obviously time travel is involved again, and vision Mm -hmm. was not restored with the unsnapping. So Mm -hmm. there has to be a go back in time, make a fix. You know, maybe Shuri in Wakanda gets 40 more magical time travel seconds to get the stone out and then they go back further in time to get away from it all. I don't know. But I mean, if, if they're actually going to have that in the fifties, then yeah, whole new set of time travel coming at you. I gotta say, looking forward now to the new schedule, whether it's the, now the black widow, obviously a prequel, but still a character could love to circle back on it, find out what's going on there. What did you think basically of the bookend with the Barton family? I think that Hawkeye's gotten the shaft often when it comes to the Avengers movies. Mm -hmm. The first one, he was a traitor in Age of Ultron. He admitted that he's a joke to Scarlet Witch because he's just a dude with arrows and it doesn't make any sense, but here we are. Here in this one, I don't think they needed to change him to Ronan just because Mm -hmm. now he's dark and edgy. He could have very easily just stayed Hawkeye that entire I mean, they didn't Mm -hmm. really change his name in the movie. They just changed his outfit, but They could have skipped all of that, but I know they need to sell toys. And every time you make a movie, you got to change the costume so you can sell a new batch of toys. So I really don't care at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. but it just seems like he's, he's never been given a moment to have uh, an emotional attachment to the guy. You know, he's, he's just kind Mm -hmm. of been in the background that fits in awkwardly as the bow and arrow guy. And they needed to give him something to make him Mm -hmm. worth caring about. And so to make him lose his family and then to give him in the time travel test that moment where he can almost see his family again to make you, you know, kind of wish and hope for him. And then he's doing the whole thing with Scarlet about don't give me hope they're gone forever type of deal. And, you know, you just kind of know they're writing it towards him being reunited with his family. So I wasn't terribly surprised by that as an outcome, but I was kind of glad that he wasn't just a background character to everybody else. They gave him a moment in the spotlight, whether you like Mm -hmm. the character or not, you just can't always be the utility guy in this type of team up to be head and shoulders equals with the rest of them. You got to give the dude some Mm -hmm. screen time, right? (laughs) So that was, that was this moment where it's just like, okay, fine. uh, Let's let Hawkeye have a moment because he's, 
not gotten the spotlight as as well as the other heroes have. I mean, it's not like Hawkeye's been showing up in the Spidey movies going, hey, kid, let me show you the ropes. You know, that's been mm-hmm. Stark the entire time. And all of these cameos, Thor and Hulk, you know, team up in Ragnarok, mm-hmm. all that. So, yeah, I mean, the dude has needed a moment for a while to to have his own moment, period. I guess in the end, that's the thing that I find most impressive about Endgame. And again, it's three hours and two minutes long. And I guess that's the greatest tribute to the film is I didn't feel like it was three hours and 10 minutes long. It was an entertaining story. It was the right length. We we saw everybody got their beat, got their moments. You talked about the end of Lord of the Rings and how it went on too long or, you know, something like Lost, which, you know, we, we all put in what, six, seven seasons and... I don't know how you could have ended that show, but a lot of people didn't like that ending. And the fact that this one delivered the goods. And get, though, again, just to, to be clear here, that if you talk with the people at Marvel Studios, it's not over yet. We still have Spider-Man Far From Home. And in the end, I love that scene at the high school where Peter Parker is, you see him sort of lost in the mix and... You know, here comes his friend up the hall. Now, here's the thing. If Peter's been gone for five years, shouldn't he and Ned be like five grades apart? Shouldn't Ned be off to college by now? Or did Ned get snapped to? I guess we're going to be picking at this one for a while. Now, since we're talking about the uh, ramifications, there is Mm -hmm. one thing that I had a friend pick up on and ask a very specific question. Now, Loki ends up getting away after he's been captured mm-hmm. in Avengers 1. He ends up with uh, the Tesseract and escapes somewhere in time mm-hmm. and space. But then earlier in the movie, there was the shot where Thor is going back to a scene from the Dark World where Loki is mm-hmm. held in his cage in prison, which takes place after he's been captured in Avengers 1. So if Loki had escaped after the events of Avengers 1, he shouldn't technically be in his cell in Thor Dark World, which creates a, a time paradox. And they did a pretty quick explanation of it, and it's one of the few time travel movies where they didn't have a scientist drawing on a whiteboard a little diagram mm-hmm. of time travel, which I was appreciative of. They did have a little bit of a visual between Hulk and, and the Ancient and One. The ancient yep. one mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So they did have that little moment. But if you think about time as if you're moving through it, you're writing in a diary... And so Loki has already been captured and all of these events have taken place over the course of many, many years. And so that is all written out in a diary. If I go back and rip out chapter one, it does not change what has been written in chapter two. It stays consistent. So even though Loki had gotten away after the events of Avenger one in this time loop, the diary has already been written. You know, the, the same events still happen over the course of the next, you know, 10 years because Loki has already lived through those. So it also explains why when Nebula, or as we'll call her Nebula Prime, shoots her past mm-hmm. self, then Nebula Prime should, you know, vaporize or just disappear because her past self died. And it's like, no, because in her diary... She's just ripping out a chapter of an event that already happened, but she herself has already lived through it. So she can't die from a previous, you can't die from history. You know, you're, you're in today. And as Hulk very briefly explained it, it was, if you are in today and you travel into yesterday, that yesterday is now your present and your, what used to be your present is now in your past. 
So you are ex still experiencing time in a linear fashion, even though you are not in tomorrow as you should be when you time travel, you're going the other direction, but it's still linear. It's just got a hook in it. So yeah, there's a lot of things that they can kind of escape story-wise, you know, ramifications of if we kill off this person, what does it mean for their current present day prime self? And you can just ignore all of that if you go along with how the MCU time travels work as it was explained, because now we also get Nebula from the past who is going to probably take over for her prime self, who is still dead. And that means that there will be some sort of her and Star-Lord are going to have to learn how to fall in love all over again. And there will be the will they, won't they type of thing, you know, uh, going on there. And also, so you know, Jim, there is a comic book called As Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. So. Okay. Does that mean that Thor... Mm -hmm. hangs out with the Guardians of the Galaxy on their next adventure, and is it going to be called as... I doubt it would be called as Guardians of the Galaxy because Gunn had written the script, I think, well before Endgame was done. I think he just knew he would have characters back, but he didn't know in what shape or form. I, I really don't know how they're going to handle that because there was also a quick, very brief rumor on the interwebs about there being a possibility mm -hmm. of a Thor 4, and this would be the first mm -hmm. time that we've gotten a fourth movie from any of our Avengers. So, yay, I'm happy to see some of them possibly sticking around cinematically. I'm thrilled to see the other ones that are going to be on the Disney Plus shows. I'm mm -hmm. just happy for the continuation of the MCU. But overall, I couldn't have been happier with this final entry. And I know they say that now Spider-Man Far From Home is going to be the last of the Infinity Saga. But unless they do something truly outstanding to make it 100% relevant to the Infinity mm -hmm. Saga, I'm perfectly happy to say that this is where it closed. And that's how mm -hmm. I view that chapter separation because it couldn't end more perfectly for me than the way they did. I don't think I can top that. I agree wholeheartedly. I think, you know, it was, it was a fun time at the movie. And in fact, it, again, it speaks volumes about the fact that Nancy and I are already talking about, you know, when are we going back? When are we going to check this out? Yeah. A couple of quick notes here. The very thing you were mentioning, the Asgardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Guardian had a number of Disney dish folks reach out about, does this mean that Thor is in the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Epcot? And uh, nobody at Imagineering wants to talk to me about that. Also, on the Disney Studio side, it's not just the box office. It's also how well Endgame wrapped up. It has really kind of upped the stakes for the folks who were working on Toy Story 4 and Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Because mm -hmm. face it, Rise of Skywalker is, is supposed to be wrapping up a series of nine movies. And I think Endgame is going to be the new yardstick for the way you do this. You know what I almost, coming out of the theater, felt mm -hmm. a guilty sense, or I guess, I guess, just felt bad for mm -hmm. the DC Universe cinematically mm -hmm. i mean they've had a couple of hits with wonder woman and aquaman but mm -hmm. i just don't think that the fans have gotten all of the goodness that the mcu fans have gotten i mean we've had 10 mm -hmm. years and multiple stories that interconnect and build into this massive huge thing and dc is pretty fractured and broken and some people are not returning to characters so we'll get some recasting and rethinking of how that's all going to shape out and I, I just wish that they had as good of an experience 
overall film wise as what we're having on our side of the fence and i i love when the competition does well because that makes marvel want to do even better and so i I just want to see them have something good too i have a story that actually dovetails nicely into this that basically drew mcweeney who used to write his moriarty over at uh, any cool news talked about being in a room with kevin feige in 1997-98 or thereabouts. And Kevin was talking about, we're not just doing this restaurant. We're setting up Marvel Studios, and what we're going to do is we're going to start controlling our world. We're not going to you know, make, keep making the same mistake of selling the film rights off to people and, and hoping that they make good movies. We're going to be in charge. And then over time, as the movies make more money, we'll take the money and buy the rights back for our characters, and we'll be able to bring them together, and we'll, we'll do things like the Avengers movie, and you, you got to put yourself back in the world of 1997, and Rick McGinney is sitting at the table looking at Kevin like, yeah, uh, that's going to happen. Right. So when I look what what they've accomplished with the MC universe, I'm, I'm I, it almost makes me hopeful for the DC universe that maybe they will get their shot. Maybe the right guy at the right time can make this happen and the weird thing is when you watch justice league every so often a really good movie will bubble up to the surface and then sink back down the material is there well here's the thing like when ant-man is in avengers endgame and he's sitting on a bench trying to eat a taco oh yes see This is a wasted moment that does not need to exist in this film. However, it brings us Mm. a good, like, three or four laughs in about 30 seconds. Yeah. If you excise all of these Mm -hmm. breaths of air where a moment of levity can happen, you would end up Mm -hmm. with a pretty dour movie overall because you've got all these Mm -hmm. self-doubting heroes. If you just chunk out all the laughs because they're taking up valuable screen time, you're going to end up with something that's very dark and grim and you're just going to have dread throughout the whole movie with the final release at the end. With the MCU, even the movies I don't like very much, I still end up having a good time by laughing through them with these moments of levity. And some people I I know criticize that as in, how can the world be at stake, but you're still throwing one-liners back and forth? And it's like, because if you don't, it's just not fun. I mean, we are here to have escapism, and this stuff mm-hmm. obviously is never going to happen in our reality. So let's have fun mm-hmm. with it. One of the things you get when you're 22 movies in, would you ever expected that wonderful moment with, with Black Widow, you know, asking about, is that weird? It's like, I get emails from her and nothing is weird. Right. Not every movie can get away with that. More to the point, not every actress can put a, you know, throw away a line like that. Right. So I'm sorry where Black Widow ended up in Endgame, but I'm still going to the Black Widow movie when it comes out in 2020. Oh, yeah. Which we'll talk about in a future episode of Marvelous Disney. If you're, you're looking for other stuff to listen to in between then, we've got podcasts that started all with Disney Dish with Len Testa. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We've got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zahir. Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. Please head on over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. Aaron and I would genuinely appreciate that. And head on over to Bandcamp and subscribe and support our efforts here. By the way, before we close, one last thing. We were a new comic book store opened up around the corner from me uh, a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I went to go check it out. And there is a T-shirt there that I have to tell you about. Are you familiar with the old Rosie the Riveter poster? 
Yeah, true. Okay. So replace Rosie with Thanos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same pose with a mm-hmm. Rosie the Riveter bandana and the old mm-hmm. blue collar working t-shirt or collar shirt and the infinity mm-hmm. gauntlet instead of a, a welding glove or something like that. <laughs> oh, dear. And over Thanos' head is the bubble that says, half of you can do it. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's funny. Okay, well, can't top that, folks. So, on behalf of Aaron, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with a brand new show. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.